forward. So we are in our, our series called Shift, moving from what we know to who we know. And so we might have grown up with a lot of different ideas and thoughts about who God is, uh, religion, how to come to God, and we want to move from what we know to make sure we're serving the one who came, who called himself the Messiah, and who actually is the Messiah, and what he has told us. And so uh, maybe we have some presuppositions we need to revisit. Maybe we have some things in our lives that we need to clean out and bring them before the God, conf- bring them before God, confess them, and work on them. So that's what we're going to be talking about. One of the verses that is in these, uh, these three chapters, uh, Matthew five thirteen, and really verse 14 as well, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Okay. Uh, we are challenged in this scripture to be the salt and light. That means we're supposed to go out and proclaim what we know about Jesus Christ. Because we're supposed to take this truth that we have already and be able to go out and give it to others because it's so great, it's so wonderful, and it is the way, the truth, and life. Or He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. We're that light. We can go out and we can shine that. We are that salt. We are the ones that are supposed to go out and give flavor to the, the world when it comes to our relationship with God. So last week we talked about the type of person that is blessed. So if you're here last week, you might remember some of this. If you haven't, we have uh, recordings online. You can go take a look at those and, and uh, you can revisit that if you'd like. But the person that is blessed or happy is the one who is begging for help. Jesus starts off and he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who realize that there is... Um, inadequacy within themselves. That we can't come to God and say, hey, look at my own works. We have to come to God and say, hey, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we recognize that and we ask and we beg for help. Then the one who is broken over sin, the one who is mourning, verse 4 talks about, and then the one who is gentle. So then the one who takes what we've heard and we understand about who God is and everything, and we, we take that, we apply it, we live it out in our lives. And we become more like Christ living out both grace and truth. So that's what we talked about last week. This week we're going to talk about not the person or the type of person, but rather the type of pursuit that is blessed or happy. The person, last week, this week, the pursuit. How can we pursue him? So here's our big idea for the day. Hey, happiness is found through pursuit, not osmosis. Now, if you may be sitting there going, okay, what is osmosis? Okay. Maybe you, maybe you used that term growing up at some point, I'm not sure. If you haven't, I have a, a term or a, a definition that will explain it for you. You'll leave this place understanding it's just all the better. Here it is. A process by which molecules of a solvent tend to pass through a semi-permeable membrane from a less concentrated solution into a more concentrated one, thus equalizing the concentrations on each side of the membrane. Is that cleared up for you? Yeah, some of you, some of you scientists are like, yeah, that totally clears up. What are you talking about? What are you laughing at? Um, But for the rest of us, we're like, what is he talking about? Well, the idea, I remember growing up thinking or hearing this this phrase that, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could learn things by osmosis? Like you just take a textbook and put it on your pillow at night, you'd sleep on it, and somehow during the night, wouldn't it be great if all that information could just pass into your brain? Right? That's kind of the way we we used it. That would be fantastic, but it doesn't happen like that. You can't have the information pass from one substance, in this case a book, into your brain, another substance, right? But yet we'd like it to happen like that. Well, the idea today is that we can't simply have happiness 
just by existing. We have to pursue it, and God tells us how to do that. So we're going to take a look at that as we move forward in this passage. Is your level of happiness more dependent on where you are in life or who you are as God's child? Think about that for a little bit. Let that sink in. Is your level of happiness more dependent on where you are in life or who you are in God's child? Or who, are you, who you are as God's child? How many of you guys liked high school? A few of you. How many of you wish you could go back in high, to high school and like relive those days? Okay, a few of you. You guys are crazy. I could not wait to get out of high school. In fact, I thought that getting out of high school would be like one of the happiest days of my life. Now, my kids, I talk to them, and they want to stay in high school, at least some of them right now. They're like, hey, can we go back and repeat it again? You guys are crazy. Like, get me out of this. Get me out of high school. But there are, are some who find happiness in graduating. There are some who find happiness in that structure. I wanted to spread my wings, get out, and fly a little bit. But others may want to stay there and, and continue because it brings some sort of comfort, right? Well, that was a time in my life I thought, well, that would bring me some happiness. Then I graduated, of course, started going through life, and then there's work, and there's other things that you still have to sit down and you have to do. Like, that was the biggest problem with school. You have to sit down and have to do things you're told to do. Like, I'll spread my wings so you get out. Of course, then you, you still got to, you know, pay bills. You got to do all those things that you don't want to do, but you have to. Well, then there was marriage. I was like, well, well you know, marriage, that'll bring some happiness. So you get married, and absolutely, marriage is fantastic. I love being married, um, probably because I'm married to Rebecca, which makes it even easier, you know. Um, but it's great. Love that. However, then life continues on, and that temporary happiness, you start to go through other phases of life, and, and uh, you think at a point, hell, let's have some kids. Well, that'll bring happiness, and certainly it brings an element of happiness, and then other pieces of life happen, and you start thinking of grass that is greener on the other side. If I move a location, or if I get a different job, or if I do this or that, or if I buy this house, or if I buy this car, or you know, all these different things that the world has to offer, if I just do that, then I'll be happy. And we pursue those things, but they don't bring happiness. Not maybe temporarily, they're not going to bring eternal happiness. So where do we go for that? And that really comes from this relationship with God, that we are God's child. That's where we're going to find the most stable form of happiness in this world, in this life, is through God. So we may have at some point searched for happiness in our job, family, income, social life, all those types of things, but really we need to find happiness in who we are. We talked about this a little bit last week, that positionally we are God's child. Positionally, we are in His hand. We are in His care. He has adopted us. He has made His his own. And because of that, we are in His care. But we're also becoming more like Christ. And this may be the hard part, where He is shaping us and molding and making us and chipping away at us to, to make us more like who He is. We're progressively becoming more and more like Christ. Here's a, a diagram that maybe helps this portion of uh, this understanding. One, we're dead in sin. Everybody is born into that state. At a time of life, they are justified. Okay, if, if they place their faith in Jesus Christ, they come to Christ and they say, hey, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? God the Father, would you forgive me of my sins? Yes, we're justified. We're declared righteous. And that begins this journey towards death on this earth 
which would ultimately result in glorification, or until the time Christ returns. But while we're going on this journey, you can kind of see there it's a, it's a jagged uphill line, right? It has its ups and its downs, and, but eventually it's, it's going more and more to be like Christ. The one reason I like this image is because the guy on the top, he's laying flat when he's dead. I just like that's funny for some reason. But it is funny. See, I just, what's that? He's flying. Oh, he's flying to heaven. I didn't think that. Okay, well, that's a different way to do it. Point of death, uh, flying. But he's laying on his side, and, and you're going towards that direction, up, down, all the way along the way. That's the progressive growth, and we should be coming more like Christ in our relationship with him. This can sometimes be confusing because I think somehow it gets in our minds that we need to be more like Christ in order to be saved, in order to go into heaven. But the reality is we're going to heaven because of the work that Jesus Christ has done. He's positionally saved us. We are justified. Now we are becoming more like him out of love and respect for him because he is our God. So I hope you understand that because that will help make the Sermon on the Mount a lot more uh, make it makes more sense as we go through it. Here's our passage for the day, Matthew 5, 6 through 9. It says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed to know you and your Son, Jesus Christ. We are blessed to know salvation and the way that we can be saved. Thank you that you gave us everything we need to be forgiven of our sins and to pour into you, to pursue you and the things that are given to us here in your word. Guide us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to go through each of these, and I'm going to throw in a lot of other scripture just to, I think, help define what Jesus is talking about. Um, it's important we, we keep within the Bible and we let the Bible talk about itself because it's God's Word, it's God's truth, and we believe it as such. So when we start in verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who greatly desire. And it's not just a, a mental assent. It's not just saying, yes, in my mind I desire. It's a physical desire as well. He says hunger and thirst, which to be honest, we don't really understand, right? In America, maybe some of you have gone hungry or you've thirst. I mean, maybe the most we've thirsted is during a hot day and, and we're outside somewhere and we forgot to pack some extra water and then we, we become thirsty. That might be the most that we thirst here in this country. But for most of us, we haven't gone very, very long with, without much food. Maybe in this day they had they could go a whole day, two days, three days at times, and they get hungry. They knew what hunger was. They knew what thirst was. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not only mentally, but physically long for righteousness. And righteousness is agreeing what God has said is right. When He says, this is what you need to do, this is what's right, we say, yes, God, you're right. We agree with Him. And we not only agree with Him, again, mentally, but we agree with Him physically, how we act out, how we live our lives. It says when we do that, then we'll be filled or we'll be satisfied. 
And it's absolutely true. I found it in my own life. You've probably found it in your own life. When we fight God or we are at war with God, and when God says, this is what we ought to do, and we say, I don't know about that, God, and we try something else, it usually brings some sort of anguish or misery in our lives. And we're not feeling too satisfied at that point. I want to read Psalm 42 because I think we see here a psalm that tells us how to pursue righteousness. Oftentimes when we think of pursuing righteousness, we might think of that as like a result of something good or positive, like, hey, we're excited about God and we want to press into Him. But check out Psalm 42 and what it has to say. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with him, and he leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mitzer. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful to love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. Why all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him my Savior and my God. Now, when you read that passage, it paints a little different picture of the person who might be pursuing and pressing into God than maybe we think of. He starts off, he says, as a deer pants or longs or, or just is, is thirsty for water, so my soul longs for you. Now, think about it. Why does a deer long for water? Why does a deer pant for water? And maybe they've gone days without it and they're searching for it. Maybe they're being chased most likely they are being chased by a predator. And they've gone for a while, and they've skipped over the streams and just to run away, and they finally get to a point where they can finally take a moment to breathe and drink some water. Well, that kind of fits the context that you've got here in Psalm 42. Someone who is hurting, someone who is running, someone who is, is seeking, searching God. God, I need help, crying out for help. We need to pursue God that way. God, we need you. We need your help. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Then he adds to it right here. Blessed are those who pursue and press in hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because we need him. We're crying out for him. We live in a, in a world that is not pursuing the righteousness of God. Right? When I look at this last week and some of the things that have been, you know, out there on social media or out there in the news, you know, it's, it's humbling to, to look at our world and say, this is how messed up we really are. I look at some of the scenarios and here you've got, uh, in one, one part of a city, you've got a, a hospital that'll be fighting for the life of an unborn child. And somewhere in that same city, there are professionals killing an unborn child. That's messed up. All because of, of an cho- individual's choice. 
This week, there was a lot of discussion, right, as far as that goes and, and what's right and what's wrong in that scenario and all those types of things. We hunger for righteousness. Who's going to fight? Who's going to fight for one of the most vulnerable human beings on the face of the earth? An unborn child. We need to fight for that. That's God's righteous thing to do. He knitted us. He formed us in the womb. He wants that person to have life. So we hunger for righteousness. God, we're in a messed up world. That's just one little thing that's happening just recently in our news. Well, it's not recent. It's been going on for years. But it's just something that rises to the surface this last week in the celebration of Roe versus Wade. There's so many things like that that plague our society and show us that we are not living in a righteous society. And in the midst of that, we ought to hunger and thirst more for God. Now, in a, in a setting like this, bringing up a touchy uh, topic like that, it's, it's possible we have people in our midst who have had an abortion. And if that's happened, I think sometimes you hear a lot of things from the church that make you feel like you're not welcomed. I want you to know, if you have ever done that before, there is grace and there is mercy at the foot of the cross. And God loves you, and God's pursuing you, and He is willing to forgive and wants to forgive if you've never confessed that to Him before. And we're here to help as a church. But we also want to fight the good fight and say, hey, guess what? That is also a live human being inside the womb, and we ought to treat it as such. And it ought to have more rights than a dog or a cat, which has more rights in our society today for some odd reason. Pursue righteousness. That is something we ought to do. How about this one, verse 7? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, here's living that out. Okay, we need to have forgiveness with action. Sometimes we can have forgiveness in our mind, but we don't do much about it. Mercy is, is withholding God's wrath on us. And as people, we ought to withhold uh, maybe some sort of judgment or if we're mistreating people, we ought to withhold that. Just because they've done something that maybe we wouldn't do doesn't give us a reason to judge or condemn or to separate them from us or the church or anybody else. We need to show mercy. And that's what he talks about here. Pursue mercy. There's a great passage about this, Matthew chapter 18. Here's what it has to say. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now you can multiply that out. That's 490 times. If you are keeping track of people's offenses and you got up to 490 and then you finally hit 491, there's something wrong with you, okay, if you're keeping track of that many, like, offenses. The point isn't that we count and keep track up to 490 and then say, okay, I don't have to forgive you anymore. The point that Jesus is making is we keep on forgiving people. That can be really hard. Really hard. Seventy times seven. Then he goes on and tells the story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants... And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents, which is an ex extremely large amount of money, okay? You've got uh, 
uh, figures anywhere from 400,000 up to 1.4 million. And this is kind of how they come to those figures. One person's thought, or some people's thought, is that a talent is equal to about 20 years worth of wage. Another is it's worth about 75 pounds of gold. Well, that's just one talent. He's talking about 10,000 talents. Okay? This is a huge amount of money he's talking about here. So he's got 10,000 talents of debt. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debts. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a hundred days' wages, okay? which is still a lot of money, but not nearly as much as 10,000 talents. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he was owed. When the other servants saw what he had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. Now that wasn't going to happen. 10,000 talents, you're not going to pay back while you're in prison, let alone while you're out of prison. So also, and here's the scary part, so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from the heart, from your heart. I read that sometimes, I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty serious stuff. We're going to get into Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus gives an example of how to pray, and he says something very similar in that as well. If we've been forgiven, we ought to forgive. We've been forgiven such a great debt, we ought to be able to forgive other people any other kind of debt that maybe they've owed us. Anyone who's sinned against us. When you think about the person who's hurt you or the person who's offended you, think about all that you've done against God and how God's forgiven you. God has shown mercy and grace and compassion on each one of us. Therefore, we ought to do the same for others. This one is, is difficult when I think about just maybe my upbringing, and I went to church most of my life, and I think of the church setting. Um, I think about how my, my parents, anytime the church doors were open, we went there, so I can say, man, you know, anybody who can't make it to church week after week, there's something wrong with them. And I can start to look down on people because they don't live the same way I live, or they didn't make the same decisions that I, I made growing up. It's easy to become proud. It's easy to become arrogance and think that, that other people's lives are just out of control and, and all they need to do is live a little bit more like me, right? That's not very forgiving. That's just pride and arrogance talking. We can take the things that we're really good at and we can excel and we can put them up here and we can say to ourselves, hey, look at how awesome we are. And then we can look at people who aren't so good in those areas and we can push them down and say, hey, they're not nearly as close to God as I am because, look, they can't achieve those things. They can't do those things. They don't want to do those things. We can begin to compare ourselves. He warns us against that. And he says, no, we need to have mercy on people. 
And when people mess up, when people make mistakes, if they come and they ask for forgiveness, we have to. It's not that we need to try to do it. I think he makes it pretty clear. We have to forgive if our heart's in the right place. We just definitely need to be moving that direction. If you're struggling to forgive somebody and you've held on to bitterness and anger inside of you, you need to be moving in the direction of forgiveness. You've been forgiven. You need to forgive. The next one he talks about is blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, happy are those who are pure. Happy are those who have not been contaminated. Happy are those who have not taken what the world has to say and what God has to say and somehow mix them up. Happy are those who understand what God has to say and just submit to it and live by it because we trust God is right and good. We believe that he's right and he's good. For they will then see God. They will see God lived out in front of them. They'll see God's character if we're pursuing and, and, and living out the character of God, will also see God in the life after as we're pursuing Him. Exodus 3, 1 through 5 is an interesting passage for this, but just kind of stick with me, and I think you'll understand why I chose this passage to explain this portion. Exodus 3, 1 through 5 says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame with fire, a fire within a bush. And Moses looked and he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Probably like any of us would. Maybe a little hesitant, but yet, you know, let's go check this out, right? Why is it the bush burning up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, it's possible that Moses had passed by this same place a couple times before, maybe once before, maybe not. But what makes this place at that moment on the earth a holy place? What makes that dirt, which is like any dirt, any other place around there, holier than any other dirt? What makes that bush more special than any other bush that existed at that time? Simply because God said so. He says, Moses, take your, take your sandals off. Why? <laughs> Why? Now, people can argue, well, they're man-made sandals. God wanted the flesh to touch the dirt. But ultimately, you kind of go through this, well, why, God? And sometimes we approach God that way. When God tells us to do something, even something as simple as taking off our sandals, and maybe even more so when it's simple, we say, why do we need to do that, God? When you say, this is, what, this is what your word has to say, we sometimes fight with him, we change, we, we, we change our logic, we say, well, that was for then, this is for now, we have better understanding today, we've evolved, even though we don't believe in evolution, we've evolved to a different understanding, you know, those types of things, and we, we you're like, wait a minute, isn't God's word God's word? And when he says... Remove your sandals from his feet. We know from the rest of the story that Moses did that. He didn't argue with God. He went ahead and did it, and he stood on that holy ground at that moment. 
I think living with a purity of heart is just, just submitting to God. Agreeing. When he says something is right, when he says to do something, we say, okay, God, I'll do it. And we won't let all these other thoughts, our own personal thoughts, or what the world has to say get in our way. We'll do what God has to say, and we'll submit to him and follow what he says. Are we perfect at that? No. Are we hopefully progressing? Are we progressing to be more like that? I hope so. We've been justified, declared righteous, but we are becoming more like Christ day after day. And part of that is this that he's talking about right here, where we purify, we have a pure, a pure heart, I should say, in following him. And not trying to mix it with their own thoughts or the world's thoughts, but just simply submitting to Him. Now the last one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The idea of a peacemaker is one who not only loves peace, but actually helps other people have peace. That's why it's peacemaking. For they will be identified, they'll be called sons of God. How we treat each other. John 13, 35 talks about that. All people will know we're disciples by how we love one another. Are we creating peace within our our church, within our church family? Are we creating factions? Are we trying to stir up problems? He says, no, we ought to be creating peace. And there's a couple ways that we can do that as we pursue peace. One, Romans 12 talks about how we do that with each other. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Not the proud, but the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Okay? There's that arrogance and pride and all of that. It says, do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. Oh, somebody's hurt me. I need to go back and hurt them. He says, don't do that. Instead, give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Who do you have more respect for? You have more respect for the person who goes out and, and reverse or returns evil for evil? Or do you have more respect for the person who takes it and learns to forgive? What's more honorable? If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Make peace. Right? So amongst each other, we need to be making peace. But there's another side to this as well. Romans 9, 1 through 3 talks about Paul and how he longs to make peace between his brothers and sisters who are Jews, how he longs to make peace between them and God. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. For the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Paul pursued his family, his brothers and sisters, the Hebrews, in a way. He said he kept every, every city he went to, even though he was known as the missionary of the Gentiles, every city he went to, he went in and he wanted to convince the Jews there first that they needed Christ, that Christ is the Messiah. And when they rejected it, then he went to the Gentiles. He wanted to make peace between the Hebrews Anybody who would listen and God. Let me know how that happens. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to bring that peace. Well, the same should be true for us when we see our brothers and sisters out there in this world today. We see other people 
People at the store, people you work with, people in your neighborhood, maybe family you have. When we see them, when we know that they don't have a relationship with God, they are not at peace with God. And we ought to do what we can to help bring that peace to their lives. So we want to be peacemakers here within the body of Christ. And we want to be peacemakers out in the world where we're helping unbelievers come to Christ so they too can have peace. So we go back to this big idea. Happiness is found through pursuits, not osmosis. We cannot sit by as Christians and just watch the world go around us and say, oh, I'll just be happy. God puts within us a conviction, and that conviction is to pursue Christ and His Word and His truth and what He has to say. And if we're not doing that, we'll actually be miserable, I think. We'll be convicted. We might even be discouraged and depressed because we're not following God. We're not obeying Him. Those are the hard things that Jesus had to say to the people. He's not talking about salvation. I don't think he's saying, okay, you're not justified anymore. He's not saying you lost your salvation. But he is saying in your growth, as you press into and as you pursue Christ, you ought to be going uphill gradually. And if you start to go down, there should be conviction to hopefully turn us back up. So we need to pursue and press into him. So just in review, the type of pursuit that is blessed is one who is pursuing righteousness, agreeing with what God has to say is right, and actually following it. The one that pursues mercy, putting forgiveness into action, that's more than just words, yeah, I forgive you, it's actually forgiving and living out like we forgive those who have offended us. It's those who pursue a pure heart, not mixing what the world has to say and what we want to do with what God has to say, but really trusting that what He has to say is the right thing. This is one of those awkward examples for people, but it's true, and I think it's one that needs to be spoken of and lived out. Um, I struggled with that as a single guy, pursuing a relationship. And you start to think through it because, you know, you got all those hormones going on. And you start dating a cute girl and you think, hey, why not fast forward into that? That intimate relationship, right? But God says, wait. And I'm, praise God, we did. Now, some don't, some struggle with that. And then maybe you've had a past and you're like, I didn't do that. Again, there's forgiveness. But from this part forward, this moment forward, agree with what God has to say. Don't fight Him on it. Agree with Him. When He says, have a pure heart, follow Him, trust that what He has to say is right, do it. It's the right thing to do. And have peace with others. Pursue peace amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pursue peace, help, help others who don't have peace with God, find that peace with God. That's what he tells us to press into. So is your, level, uh, excuse me, is your level of happiness more dependent on where you are in life or who you are as God's child? Are you looking for happiness outside of what God has to say, in other words? Are you happy with being God's child and saying, I will submit to you, I will follow you, I will listen to what you have to say, and I will live it out? Your level of happiness, I think, depends more on the fact that you are a child of God rather than where you are. So a couple things to think about as we 
we have a challenge this morning, and some of the things I've been challenged with this last week. Is my pursuit of happiness in line more with what I want or what God wants? Very similar to the question I started with earlier. Are you in line with what God wants, or are you trying to live a life of happiness that you want? And with that, then, identify one pursuit driven by your own desire for happiness and cut it out to make room to pursue more of God's character. So one of the things that I've discovered, just for me personally, I am just wired, I guess, to be a little more mechanically. I like living in the day and age we have today where we have a lot of mechanical type things. I love anything that's strapped to a motor. Uh, It could be a motorcycle. Uh, It could be um, an excavator. Uh, I love that. We well, anyhow, I used to have one of those. It was fun just to, you know, play with that. Uh, I love fast cars and strong tractors or anything like that. They just, for whatever reason, I like to be in control of those things, right? And play with them and see what they have. Well, somewhere along the way, there was always, anybody ever used the, the little nickel, thrifty nickel? Any of those? You know, a few of you are shaking your head, yeah. Those are fun to open up and just kind of look through and see, like, what kind of deals can I get, right? And then somebody came along and created Craigslist, one of those evil things, which is great when you want to sell something, but really bad when you're looking to buy something. And then there's Facebook Marketplace, which is always an evil thing as well. And can, you can pursue happiness through those types of things. And sometimes I get on there and my kids will be like, Dad, are you looking for a Camaro again? I'm like, oh, man, you know, turn it off. Because I always think that would be a fun car to drive around. Or something along those lines. That can be a pursuit I have to think of, uh, that I think would bring some sort of happiness in life. Now, would it for a little while? Probably, but it'd be temporary. I know that for sure. Until it breaks down, or I gotta put gas on, or I gotta pay the insurance bill, or I get that ticket. All those things would break that happiness, but nothing can really ruin my happiness with God. There's things that will challenge it along the way, absolutely. But it's the most stable thing in my life. God's word is true, I know it's true. At times I have a hard time accepting what he has to say, absolutely. Am I pure of heart? I would love to be pure of heart. I would love to be more and more like that as I grow older. But there are still things I read in Scripture, I'm like, God, that's hard. That's hard to do. But he still asks us to do it. You've got to follow through with it. So what in your life can you identify that maybe is a pursuit for you? What are you pressing into that's of this world that you think will bring you some sort of happiness and maybe it gets in the way of God's character or God developing character in you? What could it be? Think about it. Cut it out. Make room for more of God and less of that one thing. Maybe there's two or three that pop in your mind. You don't have to be limited to just one. You can cut out more than just one. So think about those things. Give you a couple minutes to reflect upon that. Pray with God. If you want to write down the response card, you can do that as well. I'll pray with you on those types of things. Um, If there's something else you want to communicate, or if you have a question and you'd like it answered, maybe through this week or something, I I would try to answer you on any of those questions you might have. Take a couple minutes to do that. Thanks.